Well, as I said uh, earlier on, Thursday this week was Are You OK Day, uh, run by an organisation called Beyond Blue, wanting to help people understand more about depression and realise the significance of it in our country. Uh, there's another organisation, much the same as Beyond Blue, called the Black Dog Institute, which is also trying to educate people about depression and help support those who are suffering from depression. Uh, let me give you some statistics about depression here in Australia. One in five women and one in eight men will suffer a significant depressive episode at some point in their life. Each year, around 800,000 Australians will experience a depressive illness. Back in 2001, Australian GPs reported that depression was the fourth most common cause of illness that they dealt with in their practices. Depression is the leading cause of disability in Australia. Depression alone counts for more days lost in the workplace than all industrial action put together. The World Health Organisation predicts that by 2020, depression will be the second biggest health problem in the world, second only to heart disease. Now, depression isn't just something that affects those who are faced with tragedy or hardship in their lives. There have been plenty of very famous people who have suffered from depression and have lived with serious depressive illnesses. Uh, some of the better known ones have been people like Winston Churchill. He talked about his depression as being that black dog. Uh, but Buzz Aldrin was also somebody who suffered seriously from depression. Uh, Abraham Lincoln and Sir Isaac Newton were also two men known for their depression. And then there are the modern people, people who you may not have expected to be suffering from dep depression. People like Brad Pitt, uh, the comedian Jim Carrey, the comedian David Letterman. Seems ironic, doesn't it, that comedians are suffering from depression. Uh, Michael Slater, the, the Australian batsman. Jeff Hugel, the swimmer. Olivia Newton-John. All people who have experienced significant depression in the course of their lives. Now, by depression, we don't mean someone having a bad day or feeling a bit sad. Uh, depression can be a debilitating thing. Some of the symptoms of depression are things like feelings of sorrow, guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, crying easily and frequently, loss of enthusiasm for life, losing motivation and interest in your own environment, Lack of energy, feelings of fatigue, irritability, hostility, anxiety. Physical pains that have no real explanation, such as that sore back or abdominal pain or headaches that just don't seem to go away. Now, if they're the symptoms of depression, well, I think we can actually see them in Psalm 42 and 43. The writer seems to be saying that that's the way he's feeling. Most of those things are actually in this passage. And most Bible commentators agree that the writer of this psalm is suffering from depression. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but that's one of the really wonderful things about the psalms. See, the psalms are an expression of people's relationship with God. They're songs about their experience of God. There are psalms of great thanksgiving, there are psalms of praise and joy, but there are also psalms where the writer's saying, why are you letting this happen to me? 
Why do I feel this way? There are psalms that express anxiety. And there are psalms like this one where the writer just expresses his immense sadness and his feelings of isolation. Now, Psalm 42 and 43 are really just one psalm. You can kind of tell that because there's a little refrain at the end of each of the three stanzas. The bottom two lines of each stanza are the same each time. The writer says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise my Saviour and my God. It's almost as if someone had said at Bible study this week, he's trying to give himself a good stern talking to. He's saying, why are you feeling this way? But I think he's really trying to answer those two questions. Uh, In verse 5 or verse 11, uh, uh, the questions are, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? The psalm seems to be an attempt to try and figure out the answer to those questions and an attempt to try and put his own advice into practice, to put his hope in God. Now, as the psalm begins, uh, from the very beginning, we don't know exactly what his situation is. We don't know where he is, we don't know the source of his trouble, we don't know why he's feeling downcast. But right from the very beginning, we know that he does feel a long way from God. See what it says, verses 1 and 2, right at the beginning. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? He uses this image of drought to talk about how distant God feels to him right at the moment. But it's not just that God feels distant, it's this immense sadness and isolation that he feels. Verse number three, it's actually not quite translated properly. Um, It doesn't say that it's men who are saying to him, where is your God? It actually says that it's his tears that are saying to him, where is your God? So the verse should really read, verse number three should really say, my tears have been my food day and night. They say to me all day long, where is your God? It's a pitiful image, isn't it? Here he is saying that he's thirsty for God and the only thing that he's got to drink is his tears and even his tears are taunting him. But he refuses to let his tears have the last word. The sadness of this present situation, the writer realises, is not all there is. You see it there in verse 4. He remembers back to better times times without tears. He remembers back to being part of God's people and and heading up to the temple. He remembers back to the festivals at the temple. He remembers being among God's people, singing praises to God and thanking God. He feels remote from God now, but he remembers back to better times when he felt a lot closer to God. So there are his questions, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise my God, my Saviour and my God. But I want you to quickly look at the very next verse. See what he says? My soul is downcast within me. 
See, logically, he seems to be saying to himself, you shouldn't be feeling this way. But then he says, but I am feeling this way. Logically, he knows that things ought to be different. But at this point, logic doesn't have a whole lot to do with it, does it? He is feeling downcast. He is feeling overwhelmed by his situation. And the image changes, strangely, from a drought to a flood. Uh, Verse number seven, deep calls deep in the roar of the waters. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And now we start to get a bit of an insight into why he might be feeling downcast. There's a geographical clue there in verse number six. He said in the opening standard that he's feeling isolated from God. Well, it appears that geography might have a little bit to do with it. He says that he's near the heights of Hermon. That puts him at the very north of Israel, right up on the northern border of Israel. I mean, the writer is, in a sense, a long way from God. The centre of, of all activity for the for Jewish people in Jerusalem was down in, for Jewish people in that part of the world, was in Jerusalem. And he's a long, long way from Jerusalem, a long, long way from the temple. But it's mixed feelings that he has, isn't it? He's feeling a long way from God, but at the same time he does know that God's close by. I mean, that's why he's writing this psalm, that's why he's praying this prayer. He knows that God will hear him. He knows that God's present everywhere, not just present in Jerusalem. The fact that he puts his feelings into words means that he's not feeling totally isolated from God. And he's determined to remember God. Determined to remember his relationship with God. But he's plagued by these mixed feelings. To remembering God is both a comfort for him but also further fuel for his feelings of present isolation. See, on the one hand he can say, in verse number 8, day by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. But then he can say in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So it's not just geography that makes him feel a long way from God. Living up on that northern border in Israel means that he's living around a whole bunch of people who don't even know his God. They're the people who are taunting him. As well as his tears, they're saying to him, where is your God? Verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Now, I know that this doesn't compare in any way to what the writer is talking about, but that feeling of isolation, that feeling of being surrounded by a bunch of people who are on about something else other than you, and again, I hope I'm not trivialising this, but I took Jacob to see Balmain play against the Brisbane Broncos at ANZ Stadium in Brisbane. I've got to tell you, it was a fairly daunting experience. They had a huge crowd up there. There were 55,000 people at this game. I did a quick count around the ground because you could almost count on one hand the number of Balmain supporters. There were about 10 or 12 of us, I think, by, by my rough count. I was sitting high up in one of the stands. But it's a fairly intimidating feeling being in that environment. Uh, Jacob had a, bris- a, a Balmain hat on. And as we were making our way back out to the car park, 
Some of my best if I took that off him and just tucked that into my pocket. Some of my best if people didn't know he was a Balmain supporter at this point in time. I mean, the Broncos completely smashed Balmain in this game and they were feeling pretty confident about winning the grand final that year. But it was just being in that environment where there's a whole bunch of people who believe something else, who are committed to something else. You can feel very, very isolated. And that's what the writer's feeling here, isn't it? He's living up on that northern border. He's not amongst his friends and those who trust in God the way that he does. He's amongst a whole bunch of other people. And it's feeling fairly intimidating for him. He's feeling isolated, distant from God. And the enemy seems to be compounding the situation and they're saying to him, where is your God? They're taunting him. But again, he's determined not to let his enemies have the last word because there's that refrain again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. So he's saying, don't let your enemies dictate how you feel. Put your hope in God. This will pass. You'll be praising God again soon. By the time we reach the last stanza, I think we can sense that there's a little bit more confidence there. He's still isolated and downcast, but he's actually confident that God can and will do something. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Send forth your light and your truth, let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the heart, O God, my God. By the time we reach the refrain again, the tone's changed a little, hasn't it? Well, if those statistics that I mentioned before about depression are right, then there'll be a reasonable number of people here this morning who will experience a significant depressive episode at some point in their lives. In fact, probably likely that there are even people sitting here today who are feeling that now. I think one of the unhelpful things that sometimes gets floated around Christian circles is Christians shouldn't experience depression. Do we have our trust in God? So you shouldn't really feel that way at any point in time. But I think the people who say that sort of thing obviously don't understand much about depression and don't understand much about the Christian life. Depression is like a physical illness, isn't it? I mean, it's a real thing and even Christians can suffer from it. But the process that the writer actually gives us here in this psalm I think is a helpful one. See, he faces the reality of his feelings. He doesn't shy away from them. He doesn't say, I shouldn't feel this way. He does feel this way. So that's what he says in this song. That's what he says to God. But he is seeking to resolve the issue as well. This is not just a psalm for those who are suffering from depression. I think there's important lessons that every single one of us can learn from it. While we may not suffer a a significant depressive episode, there will still be those times when we'll feel isolated from God. There will be those times when God will feel distant and remote. There will be those times when we feel completely overwhelmed by the situation that we're in. 
and what the writer says here can actually help us. Let me give you three tips from the writer of Psalm 42 and 43. I think the first piece of advice that he would want to give you is this. Continue to meet with God's people. One of the things that helps him see beyond the situation that he's actually in is remembering back to when he was able to meet with God's people. He talks about going to the temple and how important that was to him, how encouraging that was to him. He remembers singing songs of praise to God. I don't think we can underestimate the importance of actually being part of a group of believers. So God calls us into fellowship with him, into a relationship with him, but he also calls us into a fellowship with other people. So it's no surprise that in this psalm he remembers better days when he was meeting with God's people. God hasn't called us into isolation. He hasn't called us to just go it alone in the Christian life. In fact, quite the opposite is true. We're to continue meeting together, to continue to encourage each other. What compounded this downcast state for him was that he was unable to meet with God's people. See, when we meet together, we meet together to share what it is that we believe. We don't meet together out of ritual. We don't meet together out of some sense of religious observation. We don't meet together out of habit. We don't meet together out of obligation. We meet together because we want to be encouraged in our relationship with God. We meet together because we want to encourage others in their relationship with God. second piece of advice from the writer of the psalm I think would be this. Continue to remember God's past goodness. One of the amazing things in this psalm is that in the midst of his despair, he can talk about the living God, his rock and his stronghold. And he's speaking about that from past experience. That's not how he's feeling at the moment. God's not feeling like a rock for him at this particular point in time. But he can remember back to when God felt like a rock and a stronghold for him. While he may be in the depths of depression, while he may be feeling isolated from God, while he may be struggling, he can remember God's past goodness. He can talk about the living God, the stronghold. And can I say, if this writer can talk about those things, well, how much more can we talk about those things? I mean, we know the full extent of God's love for us in Jesus. We know just how much of a stronghold our God is. So whenever we feel overwhelmed or isolated, we need to remember God's great love to us in the past. We need to remember the salvation and the forgiveness that he's given us in Jesus. We need to remember the kindness that he shows to us every single day. And the third piece of advice has really got to be the piece of advice that he keeps giving himself all the way through this psalm, put your hope in God. We know that God is our rock, we know that God is our stronghold. We need to make sure that we actually continue to put our hope and our trust in God. This is a lot more than just feelings. We're not simply talking about a state of mind or a vibe. We're talking about acting like we actually have our hope in God. We're talking about living like we have our hope in God. 
The writer of this psalm is determined to look forward to the day when he'll be back in Jerusalem, back among God's people, back at the temple. Well, can I say, we've even got a greater confidence than that, haven't we? I mean, we've got a greater future that we look forward to. We look forward to the day when Jesus will return. We look forward to the day when God will gather his people to be with him forever. We're looking forward to a certain future with confidence. And we need to continue to put our hope in God. It's that thing of doing it even though you might not feel like doing it. That you're doing it because you know that it's the right and important thing for you to do. To continue to put your hope in God and to continue to live and act as though you have your hope in the God who loves us and sent his son to be our saviour. How about we cry?